You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Saki. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda, Steve Zaki, along with Guy Hobbs, out at Road America for the Aaron's Fall Festival, uh, the VSCDA, along with the HRS, HRC. HRC. HRC, one of these times, I'll get this right, uh, Guy, uh, that's a historic uh, sports car racing uh, group, and they did a, 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 a Merged for this event because uh, HSF, HCF, HSR, HSR. I'll get it right here one of these times here, guy. Uh, and uh, they they had a lot of events canceled early on uh, because of the COVID crisis and that. And they approached uh, VSCDA and see, hey, can we uh, come up and play with you guys? And uh, we have it's usually they get I would say anywhere from 150 to 300 cars. Uh, for this event, it's usually a smaller event. It's kind of comparable to the SVRE vintage event they do here in May. However, uh, for this event, they have quite a large gathering of cars. Uh, of course, I'm talking with Guy Hobbs here, uh, live in the David Hobbs Mobile Studio here at Road America, and, and it's quite a it's a large group here, Guy, and, and some unusual cars too. It's definitely some unusual cars, and, and as you say, a large group. We're up in the north end of the upper paddock and that is full which is you don't normally see on these weekends but the whole regular paddock is full and if you think you're coming out uh obviously you, you need to bring a mask uh, but, but there's a lot to see and a lot to do and the weather is fantastic and uh, i just found out 30 seconds ago there are some rather big names from old time racing including starting from pole on this very next race that is going now Jeff Brabham, who is racing here this weekend. So, and I've seen some other faces I, and names I recognize from the old days. And I guess that's what happens to all time racers. They, <laughs> they retire, they, they decide they can't retire for long, and then they hop into old cars. Of course, uh, Jeff Brabham, uh, son of uh, legendary world champion Jack Brabham. And, uh, of course, raced uh, at Indianapolis in the early 80s, started in 1981. Uh, through the late 80s, and then uh, drove that Nissan, that powerful Nissan GTP prototype car 
and won a bunch of races and championships, especially out here uh, with that program. And uh, he's involved with the Brabham program that they're trying to get, kind of similar to the, the McLaren Supercar uh, deal in uh, England. They're doing kind of a similar thing in Australia. And uh, he's up here, of course. And then his son, too, a very talented driver who is mostly racing now with uh, Robbie Gordon's Super Truck Series. But uh, uh, Matt Brabham, of course, uh, raced at Indianapolis and kind of went through the open wheel series. But unfortunately, he just has not been able to get to any type of traction. Very, very talented, uh, and the, you know the kid should be in a in a ride full time, whether it's IMSA or IndyCar. But like I said, he's been running the Super Super Truck Series and that. Good kid too, nice kid. Uh, he's been on the show a few times, and but yeah, it's kind of cool uh, seeing uh, somebody the uh, driver of the caliber of Jeff Brabham out here, guy. It is, and uh, obviously for Jeff to come, first of all, to decide he wants to go vintage racing is a big decision. And then, he, while while he's racing in IMSA all those years ago, he's racing with all these other top line drivers. Now he's racing against more people, just like you and me, basically. That anyone's got the money can race in this series. And uh, so he's not even sure what he's racing against or who he's up right. against. Or uh, it seems like at his age, it seems like a probably something you might want to avoid. But I guess he gets a kick out of the racing. Uh, why not? Well, they've got the money, got the car, they've got the lovely weather here at Road America this weekend. Uh, I guess go out and do it. Well, and he's done. He's done some vintage racing with SVRA. Uh, I was able to, to to do some work with him with with the uh, the series done at Indianapolis, in which uh, they do the Trans Am series, bringing back the old the old uh, IndyCar drivers and whatnot, and. Uh, you know, I, I would not be surprised if uh, maybe he's talking to Tony Stewart and and uh, Ray Everham. Maybe he might be part of that 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 series they're going to be doing on CBS Sports Network next year, regarding with uh, the retired race car drivers. In which uh, we get so far, I think they signed up uh, Tony Stewart, of course, and uh, Willie T. Ribs is going to be part of that program. Uh, Bobby Labonte, Paul Tracy. So maybe you might. Maybe you might see Jeff Brabham in that series. Maybe that's one one of the other reasons why he's in the U.S. here. So it'll be interesting to see. But uh, yeah, certainly a spectacular weekend. This, I mean, just the weather is perfect uh, for today and tomorrow. It's going to be pretty much dry all week. And if you can't make it out here, make sure you get off the great, the legendary Great Lakes Dragway too. Uh, weather's fantastic there, and they, of course had their big Labor Day weekend a couple weeks ago. Very very successful, and the the, the amount of cars and was just spectacular down there. So, but uh, let's switch gears in and look at the IndyCar series and uh, double races at Mid Ohio. And uh, we were kind of laughing a little bit because uh, you know we were talking IndyCar racing two weeks ago, uh, and we we're I was talking to David Land of YouTube YouTube TV, and we're like, well, you know, are we going to run Mid Ohio? We don't. We didn't know. And then about a half hour after the show, they announced, yes, we're going to run Mid-Ohio. It's going to be next week. So that came out real quick. But, uh, of course, they had double races. And then the first race you had, it was it was Penske. I mean, Team Penske looked pretty strong. You had Will Power and uh, Joseph Newgarden with Alexander Rossi filling out, the, filling out the podium. And you're thinking, oh, boy, this could be a, a Team Penske uh, a sweep here for the week. But uh, then you look at race two, and you have uh, Andretti. Andretti Autosport, who's been really struggling, 
they get a one, two, three. And a, a guy that certainly, I don't know, I want to say surprising, but, you know, it's it's been a bit of a struggle. They showed some speed, of course, at Indianapolis. And, uh, you know, with Marco Andretti surprising a lot of people taking the pole, but the Hondas were strong at, strong at Indianapolis uh, in qualifying. And uh, you go, boom, you go Andretti Autosport 1-2-3. That's a little bit of a surprise, wasn't it? It was a bit of a surprise, but, of course, the great advantage of having a three-car team like that is if one of the guys finds something, finds a secret to being quick over the weekend, he obviously shares it with the other drivers, uh, and then they all change setups on their car for that weekend or whatever the conditions are. And, uh, and great to see Colton Herter uh, with that win, too. And to see him when he got out of the car and then he's in victory lane to see him, he still looks like he's about 12 to me. <laughs> he's not, he must be about 25 or something by now. Uh, but uh, especially for him to win at Mid-Ohio. Right. Because that's where Brian Highspeed Herter got his start in racing and the whole team's based down in Ohio and everything. So a great weekend and a, a great weekend for IndyCar in general, I think. It was. And for them to be able to pull that event off, I thought that was very important. And, of course, you know, with Honda having such a strong presence in the area, of course, I'm sure they're disappointed because uh, that's a very well-attended race. And, of course, you know, obviously with this year with, with everything that's happening, they weren't able to, you know, fill the place. So that's kind of a – you work at Honda, and, and that's one of the perks is you get to go to that race. And it, it's quite enjoyable for all the employees at Honda in, in Ohio. But I thought Colton Herta had a had an interesting uh, quote in victory or after the race about maybe this newfound speed uh, from Andretti Autosport. Are you referring to this quote here? Yeah, he was to me talking about the new aero screen, which got some people viewing IndyCar racing for the first time this year. They'll notice they have a new aero screen package. Basically, it's like a full cockpit. Uh, that surrounds the helmet of the of the driver before they were fully exposed with a little bit of a lift of a windshield. Uh, I remember years ago when I was covering IndyCar, and the lip of the what used to be a windshield or a wind deflector was I think it was six millimeters you were allowed height, and the and the difference a millimeter made either way was actually quite incredible. Near like no don't to see, but they said well. Yeah. A millimeter times 200 miles an hour on a super speedway makes a huge difference to the buffeting of the guy's head, of the helmet in the car, and it wears and tears them out. And da, da, da. But now we've got this whole new aero screen where all the air goes over the top of the driver completely. Uh, I don't like it personally because you can't right. really see into the cockpit and see them. The great thing about open cockpit racing is you can see the guy and you can see him at work. Type thing, and you can see the head movement. He's checking the mirrors, looking around, checking all his buttons and knobs and things that he's changing as they drive. Uh, but now you can't see any of that going on. Uh, I mean, the racing is still good, but I, I think it just takes away a bit from that. Yeah, it's interesting that he brought up, you know, with with and there was some speculation early in the year, you know, because that's a big change. You're basically bolting on this big aerodynamic device. How is that going to change? Some teams are able to adapt, and Andretti kind of struggled with it for the first half of the year, and then they finally, obviously, at Indianapolis, 
was able to uh, kind of get a handle on it, and now they're they're, they're kind of gaining ground on the road courses too. And uh, well, you know, Kurt Hurdle, Kurt Hurdle looked very good. Uh, Alexander Rossi, of course, uh, finishing uh, second with Ryan Hunter Ray, who ran pretty well all weekend too. Graham Rahal always runs uh, well at Mid Ohio because he's uh, that's his uh, home track, obviously. Well, he's done about ten thousand miles. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, early on in the race, of course. We had a situation with Col- Colton Herta and uh, San- Santino Ferrucci getting together uh, in the beginning, uh, you know, and there was, you know, they didn't really. They talked about it a little bit during the uh, during the race, uh, but you know, there's some speculation that you know that Herta maybe could have given Ferrucci a little room. Maybe Ferrucci didn't put himself in a good position. But it's certainly you got two drivers, a guy basically that's face it's full piss and vinegar where it wasn't going to give an inch, weren't they? And of course, as you mentioned, Herta, his hometown track, he's out to win at Mid Ohio, in front of all a his fans, his dad's fans, uh, and uh, and the Ferrucci. To me, it was a bit of an early move. I mean, you're going into what is basically turn three at Mid Ohio. Uh, and you're already going down. You've got however many laps it is to to go, make the move, and he's doing. I think just too early. But, well, it's kind of a you know, it's darned if you do, darned if you don't situation where you know you you, you see a hole, you want to go for it, and you you don't know if you're going to get that opportunity later in the race. Well, to make it, it's it's like when you're traveling down the freeway, the highway, with your wife, and she needs to go to the bathroom. <laughs> And then she says, I told you, we should have stopped at the one back there. And then you're right. I mean, you've got got to make the move while you can. He thought there was a chance there to make the move. He went for it. Obviously, he's a racing driver. He's got to sit back and wait. Uh, So he he went for it. And you're right. You do have to go for it because you may not ever get another chance. And it was certainly frustrating, too, because with, you know, Ferrucci, he had uh, the best qualifying for the two cars of Dale Coyne Racing in their history, where you had Ferrucci qualifying second. Alex Below was uh, uh, as outside row two and didn't work out well for both of them as Alex Below was involved in that incident too. Ferrucci was able to continue. He finished 14th, but, uh, you know, certainly that's a kid, though, a uh, good kid. And and he, he got some a little bit of a, a little bit of some feedback, you know, Early on in, in Europe, but he, you know, he certainly turned his his career around in the U.S., hasn't he? Oh, we know he's a good kid because obviously he was on this show before, <laughs> uh, and he did in fact have his best result ever following this show. Yes, this is uh, true. When he was here at Road America, uh, the guy just needs to grow um, six or seven inches so you can, <laughs> so you can see him. So everyone's looking for him, and he's there, but no one can see him. But of course, that's. Racing drivers. You know what, though? You still try, you know, those ladies. He's got a lot of lady fans, so I don't think that really matters to uh, the girls out there. They uh, certainly think he's a, he's, he's dreamy, I think the term would be used. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. We're going to talk a little more IndyCar racing coming up after this. And then uh, don't forget, at the bottom of the hour, we'll be talking to Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. He's going to give us an update of what's going on in the 24 hours of Le Mans. And, of course, uh, I haven't been to Lamal. I don't think Eddie's been to Lamal, but I think, uh, uh, Guy, you've been to Lamal. So maybe we'll get a little insight uh, from Lamal uh, 
from from your point of view uh, coming up after this from the on the final inspection show. Brought to you by Legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs-Honda. Uh, live from Road America in the David Hobbs-Honda mobile studio, I got a Gary Newman story, uh, Guy Hobbs. Guy Hobbs, of course, joining me live on the air here. Uh, and we were talking last night about some of the people we have met through the world of racing and whatnot and Elkhart Lake and all things like that. But uh, the, the Gary Newman uh, lead in here with the cars brought a story I'm, I'm playing sheep's head one night about 25 years ago and uh a lady a mutual friend of a friend of a friend type thing and uh she's got an english uh, husband who's a plumber and uh we're playing sheep's head and uh he you know he's coming in and out nice guy and we start chatting and he goes we somehow got on the subject of music he goes Oh yeah, you know I I was I I did the plumbing for Paul McCartney's uh, bathroom. I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. Oh, one of these guys. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, yeah. I knew. Yeah, I did. I did Clapton's too. I'm like, okay, yeah. The plumber of the stars back in England. Okay, now I've heard everything. He goes, uh, well, yeah, I was involved in the music industry, and I, I you know, I, I'm not a musician, but I, I knew electronics and whatnot. And I, uh, one of the smartest things I did, he goes, uh, I engineered Gary Newman's album and at the time you know I, I you know they asked me how i wanted to get paid and he's like ah just give me and he did the one percent uh thing and the, the the it was a number one album in england it was a hit throughout the world including the u.s and he ended up making about three million bucks off that album as an engineer which is unheard of and he goes it was really cool i was, it was living a good life and uh, but unfortunately, especially during that time, cocaine was a big thing, and he spent most of it up his nose. So I'm like, okay, yeah, it's a good story, yeah, whatever. And I'm always very skeptical of, of a, when I hear stories like that. So I'm at uh, about a happenstance. A week or two later, I'm at Recordhead, going looking. I'm looking at albums. Obviously, you can tell this is probably uh, just when we're transitioning from albums to CDs. And, and there's Gary Newman's album. And I pull it out, and on, and the credits are actually not on the inside, but actually in the, the back of the album. There he is. <laughs> He's like, holy cow, he was telling the truth. Yeah, he was on there. Uh, Webb. Uh, I forget his first name. His last name was Webb, though. Uh, but, yeah, he was the engineer on that album. So he was actually telling the truth. Yeah, Plumber, Plumber of the Stars in England. Harvey Webb. That was his name. Harvey Webb. But uh, I digress. Uh, we're, of course, at Road America and the Monoposto cars, uh, which are Formula Fords basically from 1972 through 1981. And uh, uh celebrity in that race guy, of course, that was Jeff Brabham, and uh, he pretty much uh, had his way in that race, didn't he? Uh, from what I saw, yes. He had about, <clears throat> last I looked, he had about a 30-second lead. <laughs> uh, and the race is over now, um, and I'm assuming he continued, or probably probably extended his 30 second lead you know and, and you know when you talk about vintage racing uh you can sometimes when you have a situation when you have a pro driver like that 
you know, you see, you know, you see racing on TV, and people go, "Oh, I could do that, this and that." But it, it's it's like any any sport. I don't care if you're talking about football, basketball, baseball. To get to that that one percent, I mean, where you can be a professional, it really takes talent. I remember a few years out here, they had a uh, older Formula One cars racing here, and they were Formula One cars going up into the early '80s, which included some ground effects cars. So you had like your Lotus 79, you had a couple of Williams in this race, and Bobby Rahal's in it running a McLaren M23, which was one of the last flat bottom cars. So he was at a competitive disadvantage, ran away with the race. I mean, he dominated even over the ground effect cars, which in fact at a track like this should easily be about two or three seconds faster than that McLaren M23. He just ran away with it. So you can really see, now obviously some of the drivers, you know, if you're a guest driver in a car, you don't want to push the car too much. It's not your car. You want to bring it back in one piece. But, I mean, you could really tell, uh, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff kind of thing where this, you know, you could tell, hey, that car is good. And you look at the helmet, it's the iconic Bobby Rayo helmet. So, yeah, it's certainly interesting when you see a, a pro driver in a situation like that, isn't it, guy? Well, it's interesting to see that. But it's also interesting to know that pro drivers now – Bobby Rahal could drive a flat-bottom car. True. But yeah. someone who's come, come up driving flat-bottom cars could not go back and drive a regular aerodynamic car because they're so mm-hmm. used to the flat-bottom cars and the late turning in and the late braking and everything else. And then to have to suddenly rethink about it, everything and actually drive the car, not just sort of steer it around. Right. Uh, the track. I mean, you and I could steer it around the track. Well, I don't know about you. I could certainly steer it around the track. Uh, I've, I've, having spent the weekend in the car with Steve, it's been a very interesting weekend. Uh, well, I, we're, I didn't know anyone could actually get lost in Elkhart Lake with Steve has twice now. Uh, turning back uh, to IndyCar, uh, some news announced this week, of course, uh, for the 14 car, the iconic AJ Foy racing team. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais, who is going to drive part-time this year, but because of the the flux, flexing of the season and everything, has not raced in the 14 car this year. Uh, however, it was announced that not only is he going to race the final three races of the year for in the 14 car, uh, at uh, talking about, of course, the two races on the road course for the Harvest Grand Prix at Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the road course that is, not the oval, but also the finale at St. Pete. Uh, he's going to run full-time in the A.J. Floyd 14 car. And is that maybe a step in the right direction for that team? Well, uh, I'm not exactly sure how well a Frenchman, uh, a short little Frenchman, is going to get on with A.J. Foyt uh, as far as the Setting, uh, you know that Bordet's going to come in from a session and say, it needs this, it needs that, I need more left front wing, I need less pressure. And Foyt's going to go, listen, when I drove midgets around El Dorado <laughs> at 600 miles an hour, you just drove the car. Don't. And it, and, it, and that was has been AJ Foyt's not issue, well, one of his issues uh, in IndyCar racing all along is, is his drivers have come in and said, it needs this, we need that. And Foyt's like, it doesn't need any of that. Just put your foot down and go. And they're like, well, I need a bit of help aerodynamically. No, you don't. And so it's going to be interesting to see how Bordet and Foyt 
Uh, of course, it won't actually be AJ Foyt running the team. It would be Larry. Larry, Larry yeah. yeah. But well, I'm sure AJ will be there. Uh, and anyone who knows AJ, is, he gets upset if he uh, has to wait too long for a hamburger. <laughs> a, a driver telling him how his car is not set up properly. Well, uh, you know, and it, it, this is uh, an example of what can happen, especially in IndyCar racing, where the the evolution and the development grows fast. And it doesn't take much to be left behind. I mean, look at Andretti Autosport, who is at the top of their game. You had Alexander Rossi dominating here uh, last year. He spanked the field. He hasn't won since. And then when he had the arrow screen, there is issues. And the big thing in IndyCar is shock development. And you look at Team Penske, that's the number one reason why they've been so dominant over the, probably the last three, four years is their shock development. Second is in in that regard is Andretti Autosport. So and now you see what Ganassi's been able to to do with Scott Dixon, the addition of uh, Michael Cannon, and you wonder is has he been able to is it because of the shock development or the whole package? Uh, it certainly is part of it. I think is you talk to anybody within the sport of of IndyCar racing, they say shock development is really where you can hit and miss when it comes to a setup. So, and I, I think that's one thing that AJ Foyt, and they, they know this too. And basically what it comes down to is, is money. And uh, we'll, we'll have to see what, what AJ can do. There's been some glimpses and they've shown a, a little bit of speed as of late. And, and, you know, you, you had a couple, you had a Canaan uh, looked well at gateway and then whatnot, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out, but I think it's, it's a good it's a good idea having Bourdais in these final three car, final three races in the car to kind of set up for 2021. It's a good, good test. It's a good way to test, kind of get work out all those problems. So we're running behind here on time. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Guy Hobson and I will be talking to Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. He's going to give us an update. We'll talk about uh, Le Mans coming up next on the final inspection. Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway, along with David Hobbs Honda. And joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Hi, guys. How are you today? Fantastic. And it, boy, this is kind of an odd situation, the 24 hours at a mall uh, with no fans. And uh, tell us what's going on there. Well, what a shocker. The Toyotas are leading. Uh, I'm just have no words to say, but, uh, it, it's an exciting race so far. I mean, Toyota's had a couple little problems. So the doors open for rebellion possibly. And one of the drivers that drove for Penske, Roman Duma is in one of the rebellion cars and he's running fourth. The guy that drove for Penske in the Spiders, very familiar at Road America, and uh, I'm jealous you guys are at Road America, and I hear the weather is beautiful. It is quite spectacular, and uh, how, 
how many cars do they have for the prototype class there? They have eight, uh, six for LNP1. The big classes are the LNP2 and the the uh, GT amateur class are huge. Ferrari showed up. AF Course has got 13 cars entered in the event, and Ferrari factory AF Courses are leading the the pro class in GT right now with the Aston Martins following. The Porsches have struggled. Uh, the 92 car has, uh, and that's one of the drivers that drives over in the IMSA series. They've had power steering issues with that car, but it's 24 hours and it's only six hours into it. So there's a long way to go. I think uh, there's three more hours of darkness this year versus if they ran it a couple months earlier. So it's going to be very challenging, and they said there's a good possibility, like every year, that it will rain through the evening. How's our friends at ERA Motorsports, Kyle Tilly, doing in the Prototype 2 class? You know, I, I gotta, I'll have to check on the list here to see where they're at right. right now. Not a problem. I've been, and, uh, guy, guy, tell us about uh, how, how the dry, you know, how do drivers and teams handle the darkness? Is that going to, you think, more of a factor well, later in the year? Well, uh, Eddie just made a great point. Well, I did Le Mans, uh, a number of years, not race, but I was pit reporting. Now, the amazing thing, and it's basically still broad daylight at 10 o'clock at night in France. Uh, the same as England, because England is so far north. Uh, actually, maybe Le Mans more like 9 o'clock, but it is broad daylight till 9 o'clock. And, of course, it makes it so much easier in the pit lane for the, the crews and everything, because they can see, first of all, what they're doing. They know which car is coming in the pits, because a lot of the time, cars come in the pits at night, and obviously, unless the radio, they radioed in, I'm coming in, but if three or four cars all come in at the same time, you don't know which one's your car because they've all got the same lights. And so you're sitting there and you're like, oh, is this my car? No, it's not my car. So with the daylight being eliminated by running the race so late in the year, it's going to make a huge difference on pit lane, I would think. And, of course, as far as the driving, because in the daylight, obviously the driving is a lot it's not easier, but it's uh, a lot less strengthful or training on you as a driver uh, to be doing so many hours in the dark and of course the closing speeds and uh, they're very hard to tell they've obviously they've got a light system for each different class so you can tell what kind of car is coming up on you if it's a gt1 a gt2 a gt le mans or whatever that class is called uh, they have different light colors for each class but you still don't know which car it is that's coming up on it. So you, you may know, but it, you may not know it's, in fact, the winning Audi coming up on you at 200 miles an hour, not, in fact, uh, a Porsche 962 from 30 years ago coming up at 150 miles an hour. Right. So uh, I think that nighttime racing, which they would be doing now, uh, is going to make a huge difference. And, of course, the other thing is a lot of the drivers... I've been there where the drivers have said, I'm going to do all the daylight hours. And the other guy, can do, the young kid, can do all the nighttime driving. And the young kid has said, well, I don't want to do the nighttime driving. I want to do the 
So I'm sure that that's going on somewhere because a lot of the, particularly the older guys, they don't want to be doing the nighttime driving. Uh, so it's going to make it for an interesting dynamic this year on Le Mans. It's going to be, uh, well, uh, we'll get further reports as it goes on. Eddie, Eddie, how is well, the coverage and, on uh, Motor Trend TV? I think they're really doing a fabulous job, really. I mean, we've, we're under safety car right now. And I think Guy really did bring up a, a very important point about the darkness there and how dark it is. And not only that, but the limited amount of practice this year. They didn't have the test day, the early test day, uh, the, the, the weekend into the race for practice. Uh, they had multiple red flag, a lot of crashing. I think with the darkness, and if they get rain tonight, I think it's going to be a real challenge for everyone, drivers, and the limited amount. There's a lot of new drivers that never even raced at Le Mans. And like Guy just yeah. said, they don't want to be out there in, in pitch dark when it's, you know, and it's going to be, it's, Start there now, so it's, yeah. it's going to be a very challenging race, and I think he's totally right with the Toyotas coming up on the slower traffic. Even though there's only six prototypes of that speed, the LMP2 cars are just as fast through the corners as the prototypes, and I think it's it's a regular. It's going to be a lot of moving chicanes, and if weather becomes a factor, it's really going to be challenging. For that. Yeah, we're coming up on a break here real quick, Eddie. Uh, and also another point, too, in Lamal, it's not lit up. The whole racetrack is not lit up like they when they run 24 hours at Daytona. So darkness is a factor at Lamal. Uh, the, uh, real quick, Eddie, uh, who, who, besides the Toyota, if somebody's tuning in on, uh, to the race on Motor Trend TV, uh, who, who's another car class they should look at that should be interesting? Well, I mean, the WeatherTech cars there, and they're running very respectable, and they're running in the Pro GT class. Uh, Tony Vlander, uh, uh, one of the drivers that we've had on numerous on the radio show, is, you know, running in that car over there at Le Mans this weekend. And, okay. I, you know, that's one of my favorite ones. And the Reese with Sebastian Bourdais is another, you know, big deal. You know, but it's hard to just run one race and be competitive, as Guy would know or, you know, anybody in race. It's difficult to run one race, and then you have limited amount of testing, too. That's the other thing. So, but well, that's, Eddie, that's why Eddie, we, Eddie, we, we, we got to go here. We at uh, break time. Okay. Uh, Eddie, we certainly appreciate you taking time out. We look forward. We'll, we'll chat with you next week and we'll get a full rundown from uh, Lamal next week on the final inspection show. Make sure to check out his stuff at racingnation.com. Coming up next, we got uh, Larry Janicek doing three questions with Larry coming up next on the final inspection show. Hey guys, Bart Winkler, catch me weekday morning 6 to 10 on The Fan. We move from Minnesota to Detroit, another division opponent for the Packers on Sunday. Can Aaron Rodgers be as good as he was in week one? We're going to talk about it, preview it with you right here on The Fan. 
He knew. Donald Trump knew how deadly COVID was months ago, and he lied about it. Just listen. Now it's turning out it's not just old people, Bob, but just today and, and yesterday, some startling facts came out. It's not just old, older yeah, exactly. people to plenty of young people. Donald Trump knew as early as February just how deadly COVID was before anyone even died, and he did nothing about it. His indifference cost tens of thousands of black lives. It goes through air, Bob. You just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. It's also more deadly than even your strenuous flus. Nearly 200,000 dead. One in five are black. This virus is literally killing us. And Trump did nothing to stop it. Well, I think, Bob, really, to be honest with you, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down because I don't want to create a panic. Too late, Mr. President. I'm Joe Biden, candidate for president, and I approve this message. Paid for by Biden for president. Jay Farner here, CEO of Rocket Mortgage. Making the right financial decisions has never been more important. When you turn to Rocket Mortgage, we can help guide you to those right decisions now when they matter most. Mortgage rates are near historic lows, so now is a great time to call 8338-ROCKET. And if you need some extra money, a cash-out refinance could give you that financial boost you're looking for. Call today at 8338-ROCKET or go to rocketmortgage.com to learn more. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. And MLS number 3030. You can't use your timeshare. They're closing the resorts, canceling reservations, and preventing owners from booking new reservations. Meanwhile, you're forced to keep paying maintenance, mortgage, and assessment fees. And forget about even getting there to begin with. Does your timeshare company care? Of course not. They're taking advantage of you. It's not right, and you want out. Whether you bought decades ago or days ago, Timeshare Freedom Group can help. Timeshare Freedom Group's freedom process has helped thousands of people just like you get free from their overpriced, unavailable timeshares. We're the leaders in the industry with decades of experience canceling timeshares worldwide, legally and permanently. And we offer a 100% money-back guarantee. Start the freedom process now by calling Timeshare Freedom Group at 866-900-CANCEL. That's 866-900-CANCEL. 866-900-CANCEL. TimeshareFreedomGroup.com. Timeshare Freedom Group, we set you free. Looking to renovate a tired kitchen or bathroom? Considering an addition because you love your neighborhood? Well, look no further than a Great Midwest Bank renovation loan. Hi, it's John Reitz, and today's tight housing market has more folks looking for creative solutions to fix up what they already own. Our low-cost, low-down payment renovation options might be just the answer you've been looking for. You'll appreciate our mobile mortgage application and low-priced, locally-serviced products. Visit GreatMidwestBank.com. Great Midwest Bank, your simply local, equal housing, and renovation lender. Hey, what's going on? It's Tim Allen. The Brewers season winding down in the middle of a playoff chase. We're going to get you ready for each game on the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin on deck show. Just a handful of games left and the Brewers in the mix. We'll see you before each game here on The Fan. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda here at Road America for the Vintage Fall Vest Festival, where the big block V8s are on track. Uh, we've got, we've got all sorts of Corvettes, Camaros, 
uh, Mustangs racing, the, the American big blocks out there, as well as some Porsches mixing up, to, mixing it up too. And I'm here with Larry Janicek. We have our session of three questions with Larry. And uh, Larry, what's the first question we got today? Okay, Steve. Uh, there are three drivers that, during their careers, each one of them has won at least one Formula One race and at least one NASCAR Cup race. Do you know who the three are? Hmm, Formula One race and NASCAR Cup. Well, the easy one is Montoya. Absolutely, yes. Uh, then we all have to go with Mario Andretti. Right. Because uh, he won uh, 67 Daytona 500. Correct. And then, uh, boy, that's a good one. You want a hint? Yeah. You had lunch with them in Southern California. <laughs> I did. Yes. Oh, Dan Gurney. Oh, that was, yes. That was, That's yeah. It. How did I forget? Yeah. Okay, yeah, because he won the Belgium Grand Prix in 1967, as well as I think he won one in 62 with Porsche. You are correct. Those are the three drivers. Very good. Okay. Thanks for that. That's embarrassing there. <laughs> what else do we have today? Okay. Uh, a Toyota-powered car has won one Indy 500. Do you know when it was, what team it was, and who drove? Eesh. Toyota. This one really surprised me. Is it a Ganassi car? Nope. Oh, boy. Toyota. Uh, year 2003. Team Pansky. Really, Gilles DeFerrin? Yes. That was a Toyota? Yes. I, I almost fell over when I read it. That's surprising. That's a very good one. Yeah, a lot of people, for whatever reason, that Indy 500 is kind of forgotten because he had, you know, Montoya win in 2000, then you had Elio Castro Neves wins two in a row, and then Gilles DeFerrin wins in 03, but then he retired. He's done at the end of the year. And then, you know, move on, and you get Buddy Rice, and then you have Dan Weldon win, and it kind of gets lost in the shuffle of the early 2000s, so that's pretty good. And, yeah, Toyota, huh? And that, and that just proves Roger Penske, he's he's done business deals with everybody. Yeah, I mean, Toyota, I mean, that one, I mean, that's a head-scratcher. That, that's one I think if you ask most people, they would forget. I mean, he's done uh, deals in NASCAR with AMC. Uh, he's worked with, uh, Dodge. Chevy, Dodge, Ford. I mean, pretty much everybody. Um, he, he, and then the IndyCar, he's worked with, you know, Mercedes. He's done all sorts of stuff with, with Chevy and whatnot. And, and then, uh, you know, just across the board, he, he's, but yeah, the Toyota one, that, that's, that is a very good one. Okay. In the decade of the seventies, 1970 through and including 1979, for those 10 years, what three drivers uh, had the most wins in IndyCar racing? Oh, car racing. throughout the 70s. Yep. I would say... No. Mario would... Uh, Mario only won, I think, two races in the 70s. Or maybe three. Uh... I have, we have also have uh, Guy Hobbs in the David Hobbs Mobile Studio with us. 
Uh, I, I'm going to say... Oh, boy. Foyt Allens or Bobby Unser. Absolutely. Did I get it? Winner, winner, chicken. Oh, look at that. Yeah, Mario went won a bunch of bunch of races in the '60s, and then had a drought for I think he won. A, he might have won a race in '70, and then I believe he won Trenton in '73. But then he didn't win another race till like '78. Well, and then, and he was running a lot of F1, but he just had miserable luck. He wasn't running full time. You know, Parnelli Jones and then Penske. When he drove for Penske, Penske was not at the top of its game yet. It was a very competitive team, but not the team. So yeah, just when he went with Newman Haas, that's where he really started to get his mojo in the early eighties again. Yeah, Al Unser had 25 wins, A.J. Foyt had 24, and Bobby Unser had 21. Okay. Rutherford had 18, and John Cock had 14. Okay. Yeah, the 70s, you know, people talk lovingly about the 70s and the 11s. It was very competitive, but it was really with only the, 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 the it was a real sharp end of the stick. Because in NASCAR, uh, I think for a period of time, uh, whether it's like 65 through 1980, uh, the majority of the, I think it was 80%, 85% of the races were won by Richard Petty, David Pearson, Bobby Ellison, Daryl Waltrip, and there's one, Kelly Arbor. Those five won, I think, like 85% of the races in that span. Same thing with uh, IndyCar racing, too, where you have AJ, Al Bobby Unzer, and then John Cock and Rutherford, especially in the 70s. Those are the guys that just dominated. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Final Inspection Show. Obviously, Steve Zotke up at Road America today. Guy Hobbs, our thanks to Jeff Orlowski as well, Dennis Michelson of DMike Media stopping by as well and that's going to do it again here for us on the final inspection show coming up later on the fan it's the pellet windows and doors of wisconsin on deck show coming up at five getting you set with tim allen for the brewers and the royals as they play game two of this three-game weekend set we'll talk to you guys in the final inspection show next week okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.